Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Well, can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise in the house tonight? Listen, we're going to try that again. One of my favorite scriptures is in the book of Psalms where David says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This is the Daniel's version. I should be able to tell how great your God is by how great your praise is. If he's an okay God, give him an okay praise. If he's a good God, give him good praise. But if he's a great God, give a great God great praise. So Father, tonight we love you and we thank you that you're the God of intentionality, that there is no coincidence, that you lead us even when we don't know we're being led. You, you order our steps and our stops and we believe you've arranged and orchestrated our stops in this place tonight. Something you want to say, something you want to do. And our answer is yes. <laughs> we come into agreement with what you have prearranged and ordained tonight. We say blow our minds, exceed our expectations, do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. I thank you in advance for lives change. I thank you in advance for all that's going to be accomplished in our time together. We ask this in the name of the one who has saved our life, our lion and our lamb, our great redeemer. His name is Jesus. If you agree in faith, come on and shout amen. amen. And if you got any praise left, give him one more tonight. You can be seated. So glad to be in the house tonight. And what an honor to be here and to worship with you, this incredible spiritual family. And it's been a greater honor having the privilege of meeting the leadership that God has given as gifts, not just to this house, but to this region um, beyond his incredible, his incredible leadership. Um, the I've learned, I, I, I'm not talking like I'm an OG, like I've been around that long, but uh, I've been around the block a few times. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a church baby. And um, for me, I'm in a season in my life where I really believe that one of the spaces you judge greatness, specifically for spiritual leaders, is not in this room, but in the green room. And um, does that make sense? Fame and greatness aren't the same thing. And I just think uh, God has blessed this house and this region, not just with great leadership and great teaching, but two great people. Can you give it up for two of the greatest leaders on the planet? Pastor Joel, Pepper, Pepper, we love you both. And it's been an honor to 
to meet you. Man, you fed me so good today. You make me want to move back. God Almighty. Uh, but it's good to be here. Uh, my wife was actually born and raised in Jackson, a Murrah and a USM grad. She's in the building tonight and uh, glad to have her with us. And also two very special people in my life. Uh, I think I met them when I was around 19 or so. And they have been um, the closest thing you can actually have to literal parents to me. They have been more than just in-laws. They've really been natural and spiritual family. As a matter of fact, one of the first gifts this man gave me, I don't even know if he remembers this, he reached into the back of a green truck he had and he gave me a book that revolutionized my spiritual walk. It was called The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. And uh, so my father-in-law and my mother-in-law who live right here in Jackson, they're in the building tonight, Robert and Eleanor Gooden. Thank y'all for being here. Love you both. And I saw some friends of mine and some classmates around here somewhere and uh, glad to have, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Glad to, glad to see them. Okay, so do y'all still talk back to the preacher in Mississippi or no? Okay, so I want to read one scripture in our time together from the good news about Jesus from John's perspective. The Gospel of John, chapter number 16, verse 33. I read from the New International Version of the scriptures. We're going to read that one verse, and then we're going to use it as a launching pad to leap into our lesson. John chapter number 16, and we're going to read one verse, and that verse is verse 33. So turn there, click there, or uh, follow along on the screens. John 16, verse 33, says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I want to tag a title of this text, and I want to talk from this subject in our time together. It's a declaration. It's an affirmation. It's a confession. Here it is. All I do is win. All I do is win. I'd like to begin our time together by informing some and reminding others of a really profound principle I see in the pages of this passage here in John. It's a principle that can really be captured in the following phrase. The phrase is simple for my note takers. Whoever has your ear has your future. Whoever has your ear has your future. In other words, I'm simply suggesting the course and the quality of a person's life is a reflection of the value of the voices they've been given access to and exposed to. I'm simply suggesting you cannot live a good life with bad information. In theological circles, we would put it this way, orthodoxy produces orthopraxis. In other words, right doctrine produces right praxis. And all throughout scriptures, we see examples of individuals who did not reach their potential. 
not because they weren't good people, but because they didn't have good information. Adam and Eve are examples of this. They lost life as God intended, got evicted from a garden called Eden, not because they were not good people. We're, we are absolutely unequivocally clear that they were good. As a matter of fact, God is such a good God that whatever he creates is good. He created on the first day, stepped back and evaluated and said, it's good. Created on the second day, stepped back and evaluated and said, it's good. Created on the third day, stepped back and evaluated and said, it's good. Created on the fourth day, stepped back and evaluated and said, it's good. Created on the fifth day, stepped back and evaluated and said, it's good. Created on the sixth day, stepped back, evaluated and said, it's not good. That man should be alone. But because he's a God that does not settle for less than his best, he put the man to sleep, reached into his womb, pulled out a rib and created a woman. And then when he saw what God created, he said, yes, yes, God, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It wasn't that they weren't good people. They didn't have good information. Israel in Numbers 13 stayed stuck in the wilderness. It was supposed to be a stage, but they made it a state. Not because they weren't good people, but because when the spies went over, 12 spies went over, but they came back with two different reports. Two people saw God. Ten people saw the giants. So they allowed the enemy to intimidate them out of a fight that was already fixed because they had bad information. Paul in the New Testament put it this way when he's writing to believers in Corinth who've got all kinds of interesting associations with people. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, don't be misled or don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. He says, he, says, he says, don't be misled. Why does he say that? He's saying, don't be misled because he's suggesting that it's possible to be unaware of the influence someone is having on you. It, it is possible to be influenced unintentionally. So he says, don't be misled. Notice what he says now. He didn't say bad people. He said bad company. Because some people aren't bad people. They just aren't good for you. If the only thing you have in common is a you that you are no longer, that is a relationship maybe with a good person that may not be good for you. Wrong voices can't lead us in the right direction. So we must be discerning, prudent, wise, shrewd when it comes to the voices we expose ourselves to. And here is what I really want us to see. Sometimes, are y'all ready for this? Sometimes the wrong voices are religious voices. 
just because the voice is religious does not mean the voice is right. Some of the most destructive, unproductive, counterproductive, ungodly advice has come from people who are often assuming they are speaking in the name of God. Listen to this. I, I want you to stay with me. And, 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 and Jesus himself knows this to be true. So in John here in chapter 16, Jesus engages in a real, authentic, candid conversation with his followers and his disciples. And he starts off by saying, now, I have told you this. In other words, he's saying, let me tell you something so that you're clear on what I'm saying. Listen to this. Because the power here is not just in what Jesus said. The power here is in who he says it to. He says it to disciples. He says it to grown Jewish men who are religious, who have memorized the law, who have sat under teaching. And Jesus invades their space and says something that I think is so powerful to them. He says, I don't know what you have heard prior to hearing this. He says, but I want to be clear on the difference between what you may have heard and what I'm saying. And he says something to them. He says, now I'm telling you this so that you can have peace. He says, I'm getting ready to tell you something that may be different than what you've heard in normal religious spaces, but I'm telling you this so that you can have peace. He says, this may be <laughs> uncommon for you to hear in the synagogue, but because I know whoever has your ear has your future, I want to make sure I steward my access to you well by giving you some kingdom truth. And he says, I'm telling you this so that you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. He does not say this for the purpose of intimidation. He says this for the purpose of preparation. He says, I want you to be prepared so that if something you don't expect somehow drives down your street, pulls up into your driveway, gets out of the car, walks up to the front door, doesn't ring the doorbell, walk in, sit down, go into the kitchen, get the Kool-Aid, already know the flavor. He says, just, just in case that happens to you, he says, I want you to know it's not abnormal. He says, I want you to know that there's some inconveniences that you will experience that are simply a result of you having residence in this world. He says, I don't want you to be surprised by the inevitable, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Are y'all ready for this? What Jesus is doing is he's re-educating them on what it means to win. He, ex he's, he is expanding their understanding of what it means to get the victory. Yeah. 
Because in many religious circles, the only way we feel like we win is through avoidance. And, 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 and that's biblical. There are some things that God blocks. There are some things we avoid. I mean, the Passover was a celebration instituted to remember how when the angel of destruction was coming through Egypt, God gave Moses instruction. I want you to take the blood from a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I've got to pass over. Meaning that there are some things that could have happened and should have happened that didn't happen because I'm the God that makes it pass over. And I want to know, is there anybody in the house tonight that's honest enough to reflect back over your life and say, the reason that I'm still here and sane in the membrane is because there are some things that passed over me. There are some people that did some of the same things I did, but ended up worse off than me because the blood was on my life. Some things had to pass over. And that's why when I come in the word of life, I got to give God a Passover praise because you don't know, like I know, what the Lord has done for me. Somebody pause tonight and give him a Passover praise right here. A Passover praise. A pa that, that's, that's what I call a hedge praise. You remember, <laughs> you remember in the book of Job when the Bible says Satan comes before God, right? And he begins to engage with the father. And the father says, have you considered my servant Job? And Job said, yeah, I considered him. But you've got a hedge of protection around him. Now, here's my question. Because if you observe their interaction, God never said anything to Satan about a hedge. So how would Satan know there's a hedge around Job unless he had tried to get to Job but couldn't get through because the hedge blocked him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Job had no idea all the things the enemy tried to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that could not get through to him because the hedge was protecting him. And I don't know if you know this, but there's not just a hedge around Job. There's a hedge around you. And there's a hedge around your children. And every now and then, instead of complaining about the things that did get through the hedge, you ought to pause and praise him for the things that did get through the hedge give God a hedge praise tonight that, that, that's avoidance but Jesus here is expanding our understanding of what it means to live in victory he's expanding our understanding of what it means to win he's letting the disciples see that avoidance is only one way to win He says, but just because you don't avoid doesn't mean you can't win. Sometimes you don't avoid the fiery furnace. But I get in there with you. Sometimes you don't avoid the lion's den but I get in there with you. Which means if God doesn't keep 
you out, it's because God must intend on coming in. I don't know who this is for tonight, but I just want to remind somebody in the house that if God did not keep you out, get ready because he's getting ready to jump in and he's going to shut the mouth of the lion and bring you out of the fiery furnace and you won't even smell like smoke. He's, he's expanding the understanding of what it means to win. He's trying to help them see that the gospel is not a gospel of avoidance. It's a gospel of overcoming. Jesus went on the cross. He went in the grave, but he didn't stay in there. Did you hear what I said? So if you experience Passover, you win. And if you experience the lion's den, you win. Either way, all I do, <laughs> I'm trying to see which side gets it tonight. I say, either way, when the dust settles, all I do is win. When the rain stops falling, all I do is win. When the lightning stops flashing, all I do is win. I may go in, but if I go in, he's coming in with me, and he's going to bring me out. Even if I don't avoid, I overcome. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Faith does not deny reality. Faith believes God to change it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? However, I've learned something, and I want to share it, that when it comes to these two streams of victory, avoidance and overcoming, that when it comes to these two streams, uh, I'm going to just talk about me now. I need a little more assistance with one of them than the other one. When it comes to avoidance, I'm an expert at that. Right? When God avoid, when, when, when God orchestrates something and it's avoided, praise God. That's easy. You just praise him, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's the other one that I think is a little disconcerting for me and maybe for many of us who are in this place of watching online, right? Not, it's not the things that we avoid that become problematic and troublesome. It's the things we got to overcome. And now this is what I believe. I believe the scriptures teach that one of the primary purposes of the church is to be the educational arm of the kingdom. It doesn't mean, when I say kingdom, I mean king's way. What does life look like when the king's in charge? When Jesus has his way, what does life look like? A kingdom marriage. When Jesus has his way, what does a marriage look like? When Jesus has his way, what does parenting look like? Does that, does that make sense? So you do the stuff culture's way, church's way, and the king's way. Sometimes church kind of get it right, and sometimes church and Jesus don't agree. <laughs> you like, we just met, and I'm, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Does that make sense? A, Jesus like, don't judge, and church like, ugh. <laughs> so the church is supposed to be educational arm of the king. Church is not a school, but it means it has a discipling or an educational responsibility to train people how to do life the king's way, right? And it is possible to train people 
how to serve, to train people how to love, to train people how to be generous, and not train people how to suffer. So then we cultivate a faith that's not prepared for a fight. And so very often when people defect from the faith and walk away from Jesus, very often there's some tragedy attached to it where they feel like God let them down because they have an expectation that's based on misinformation. So they're mad at God about something happening that God never said wouldn't happen. And they're like, how can this happen to me? I'm leaving God. And God's like, didn't you read Job? I put that in the Bible to tell you that sometimes there are things for which there is no explanation that we all walk through. But my promise is... Either way, whether you avoid or whether you overcome, you can win. So, so I feel like when it comes to this, when life happens, we, we aren't often anchored in truth enough to know what to do when it happens. Uh, me and Pastor were talking early, and I was telling him uh, almost a week ago today, Thursday morning, probably about eight something in the morning, I had to administer last rites over the closest thing I've ever had to a natural brother in my life. 43 years old, my executive pastor, my right hand man in ministry for 13 years, passes away. 43. Wife, kids, 43. With no anchor, when winds blow like that in a person's life, if you are not anchored, it will blow you away from the only one that can heal you from what broke you. Oh, does that make sense? So this, this other side is where we, where we often need a little help. Lord, when, if life happened, how do I handle this overcoming side? And, and, and I want to share with you something that I think is incredib incredibly important. And it's this, we can't win if we aren't clear on what we're fighting. I mean, we can't overcome what we don't understand. So then, what I've done is, I've seen throughout Scripture that whatever we have to endure that's inconvenient can be divided into three categories. Whatever you're going through right now, it is either a storm, a thorn, or a cross. When we look in the New Testament and look at the imagery the New Testament uses to describe trouble, it is either a storm, a thorn, or a cross. And I need discernment to know which one I'm dealing with because the way I fight a thorn is not the way I handle a storm. 
and the way I handle a storm is not the way I handle a cross. So I need clarity on what I'm fighting so that I know how to fight. Because it's either a storm, a thorn, or a cross. Pastor Darius, what, what's a storm? Where do you get that from? I, I get it from Mark chapter 4 when Jesus tells his disciples, right, let's get in a boat and let's go to the other side. So Jesus gets in the boat. He take a nap. He in the boat. He sleep. The disciples are going across the sea, and the Bible says they run into a storm. Now, this is a different kind of situation, right? Because this is not a Jonah storm. Jonah encounters a storm because he disobeys. The disciples find themselves in the middle of a storm and they obey. They like, God, I wouldn't even be in this if I didn't do what you told me to do. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I'm trying to do right, Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I'm at least trying to do right. I'm trying, and I don't want storms to come on anybody, but listen, I know some people that's not even trying. I'm not hating Jesus. I'm just saying. I know some people that's not even trying. They're in the middle of the sea. Wind is blowing Jesus is sleep, and they go to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we perish? They're assuming, here it is, they're saying, okay, Jesus, you're in the boat with me, but you sleep, which means you're inactive. You're doing nothing. Don't tell me you're sleeping through all of this wind, water's all on your face, Jesus. <laughs> they're in the boat. And they're saying, don't you care that we perish? Why? Because they're saying, they're connecting his care with his activity. Meaning, if you care the way you say you care, you should be doing something that I think you should be doing it at the timetable. I think you should be doing it at. Did you hear what I said? Here it is. Jesus is asleep because Jesus knows something they don't know. Just because you're afraid don't mean you're in danger. Jesus like, y'all scared, but you're not in danger. Why? Because I'm on the ship. I don't know who this is for tonight, but I need to ask you a question. Not how big is your storm, how big is your Savior? And it's Jesus is on your boat. The wind may blow, but all you do is win. And so Jesus, the Bible says, speaks to the wind. and says, peace be still. And after he talks to the wind, he talks to the disciples. He says, where's your faith? In other words, I had to stop this. This wasn't going to destroy you. You were going to destroy yourself. A storm, a temporary season of inconvenience that the enemy wants to use to get us to act impulsively because one's reaction to a storm can cause one to destroy themselves when the storm can't. Storm. A temporary season of inconvenience that the enemy wants to use to get us to act impulsively because one's reaction to a storm can cause one to destroy themselves when the storm can't. Jesus is like, calm down, keep your composure. You're about to jump off a ship and you're going to drown in the sea when the storm can't kill you because I'm on the boat. Don't let the storm cause you to lose your composure and act impulsively because the enemy can't destroy you, but he can talk you into destroy yourself that's a storm it's temporary but there's another one and it's not a storm a storm it's a thorn 
Pastor, where you get that from? The Bible. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 12, there's a man named Paul who said, I got this, I had, I had this abundance of spiritual insight and revelation. And because of that, he says, that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Concerning this thing, I sought the Lord three times that it might be removed from me. And on the third time, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient. A messenger of Satan. This is, this is interesting now. He says, he says where this comes from. He says, it's a thorn. It's a messenger of Satan. Don't miss it. He said, okay, the, God's like, the devil sent it. I looked at it. I liked it. So I left it. Watch what it says, a thorn, something that sticks you, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. The word buffet means to strike repeatedly. Got me? It means it's not killing me, it's just agitating me. A storm is about my life, but a thorn is about my assignment. A thorn is an inconvenience orchestrated by the adversary that's intended to aggravate us to the degree that we abandon our assignment. It's not killing me, but it's just getting on my nerves, just buffeting me. Somebody irritated in the back already. Stop. I get the point, pastor. Paul, here it is. The devil sent it. God looked at it, said, I like it. So he left it. Paul said, God says, Paul, you know what? My grace, my enabling ability is going to be sufficient. I'm not going to alter this. I'm going to give you grace to endure. Because, Paul, you're saying you've never been worse. I'm looking at you and saying, you've never been better. <laughs> Paul's like, I've never been in this much pain. God's like, you've never been in this much prayer. Paul's like, I've never been this <coughs> agitated. God's like, you've never been this anointed. Is there anybody here that's honest enough that the thorns sometimes bring out the best in you? Can't rebuke thorns. <laughs> you can't bind thorns. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, <laughs> and here's the last one. The last one is a cross. It's a cross. Pastor, what's a cross? A cross is the inconvenience you choose to carry because you value your call more than your convenience. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all this world go free? No cross. There's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Jesus said, if any man is going to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 
It's the inconvenience you choose to endure because you value your calling more than your convenience. It's saying, I know that I've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I know that there is intrinsic worth and value on the inside of me. And just because someone doesn't see that in you doesn't mean there isn't someone out there who will. So a cross is saying, I'd rather be by myself than settle for something and someone that is less than God's best for me. So I'll Netflix and chill by myself because I'd rather rather deal with the inconvenience of the cross than compromise my calling. It's a refusal to violate godly standards to get in great doors. It's saying that if God wants me in this room, he opens doors that no man can shut and he closes doors that no one can open. That when God wants to get me in a room, it doesn't matter who doesn't want me in it. That God will find a way. If he can't get me through the door, he'll send me through a window. If he can't get me through a window, he'll tear a hole in a roof and drop me down in the roof to get me where he wants me to be. He's saying, I don't have to sell out. Because God's got a way. Get me in the right room. It's a cross. And the cross, listen to this. The cross is the hardest level to manage. Because it's the only inconvenience that stops when you get ready for it to. It's the hardest. Because whenever you get tired of carrying it, you can lay it down. But Jesus provides an example for us on how to handle crosses. Because he hung on one for hours. Hours. Now listen to this. I know why he had to die understand that I know I had to bleed I understand that I understand the imagery and the analogies of everywhere he was pierced and everywhere he bled and the implications of that for us but my question is why do you have to hang he died to be my savior but he hung to be my example of how to behave when it feels like God's left you hanging. What do you do? Hang in there. Because if you don't lose your composure in a storm, if you don't abandon your assignment with a thorn, and if you don't carry down, lay down your cross, I don't know about the beginning, I don't know about the middle, but I do know what happens at the end. Either way, all you do is win.
you'll win. Before I go, while you're standing, can I pray for you? This evening as I was praying over this service, I wanted to get a sense of what direction to go and what I felt like God wanted to do. So these aren't words that I typically use often. I'm more of a teacher. I know that. That's my calling in the body. I'm, I'm a scribe. I'm a teacher. I get it. But pastor, what I heard was a word impartation. That's what I heard. Which is a word Paul used when he writes to the church at, uh, in Rome. In Romans 1.11, he says, I long to see you that I might impart a charismata, a grace gift to you. Just that I want to give you something that's going to help you in a way that notes in your note app can't. Just, I want to give you something that I just can't give you through a letter. He says, I want to release grace to you to do something you couldn't do before with the information you already have. An impartation. Are you here? And so as I pray tonight, I'm praying specifically for that. I hope you got some notes and things of that nature, but tonight I sense God's end to us. The message is simply a runway to this moment that God wants to do more tonight than just teach us something. He wants to give you something. A grace gift, an impartation. Because what I sense in this room is faith fatigue. See, it's one thing to have strong faith, but the Bible doesn't say God tests our faith always with the enormity of the obstacle. He tests our faith with the length of the weight. The testing of your faith produces patience, which means he said, I'm going to test your faith with time. It's not how big you can believe, it's how long you can believe. Can you keep on believing when it seems like what you're believing for is not coming to pass? And somebody in this room, I know it, God wouldn't have led us this way if you weren't dealing with that. Like, man, I'm fighting past the dare, so I'm, I'm trying with everything I got. I'm trying to believe, I'm trying to keep the faith. I just feel like I keep it. You talked about all three of those things. Some of you like, Pastor, I feel like I'm in all three. I'm confused. Come on, you feel like I just can't get a break. I'm trying, and, and, I, and I came to church tonight, and, and, and God knows I needed, I needed him to speak to me. Because, Pastor, I'm trying, but I'm, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of having conversations and thinking that this is going to be the conversation that changes things and it doesn't. I'm tired of the doctors not being able to figure out what's wrong. I'm tired. I need God to help me tonight. God's going to give you an impartation of strength strong in the Lord. Here it is. His strength is perfected in your weakness.
And there are men in this room, you're like, Pastor, I need that. <laughs> I need it. That's going to happen, and I'm done. Um, and for some, I sense there's going to be a release, we talked about this earlier, of the gift of faith. Now, I experienced this firsthand. I, I saw it. It happened to me. I was speaking in New Zealand and dealing with some things. that I didn't even know how much disappointment had tamed my faith. I was praying safe prayers. Because when you believe big, and sometimes that big doesn't happen, that disappointment, it tames, it domesticates your faith. So you start believing safe. And I had no idea I was believing safe. Until I got exposed to somebody who reminded me of what it was to believe again. And he had the gift of faith, and he felt like the Spirit led him to, to pray. And I can't describe it. Something happened to me. I think this was a couple of years ago. Something happened to me in Auckland, New Zealand. And my disposition changed. It wasn't a book I read. I just, my spiritual swag got different. God, the Holy Spirit gave me an unexplainable ability to believe him in unique ways and I didn't know for the season that was ahead of us I needed that gift I didn't know we were going to be trying to do some of the things we're trying to do in terms of churches in different places in the country I didn't know that the enemy had robbed me of something in my past that I needed for my future and God knew exactly when to give it back to me and God's about to give it back to you because your future demands it there's something ahead of you that demands it you ready to receive this tonight so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, according to Romans 1.11, you're a God who makes impartations. Your Holy Spirit distributes grace gifts to your people. And I pray tonight for a distribution of strength. Strength. May the weak say I'm strong. I pray tonight not only for a distribution of strength, but I pray tonight for an impartation of the gift of faith. People tonight will leave with the unexplainable ability to believe you in unique ways for unique things. It's released in this house tonight. And I thank you for the promise that you have heard our prayer and you will honor this petition. And as a result of this prayer, may it be said of us, may it be said of this house as it was said of the early church. These are they that have turned the world upside down. In Jesus' name, amen.